Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord. The saint we share with you today is one of the powerhouses of our church, St. Dominic, founder of the Order of Preachers. Together with St. Francis of Assisi, he was credited with bringing about the reform of the Church of the Middle Ages. Our story begins in 1170 in in the Christian part of Spain, recently freed from more than 400 years of cruel domination. It takes place in a small, sleepy village resting unnoticed between the lofty cities of Burgos and Segovia. Turrets and ramparts majestically dominate the horizon, proudly announcing the nobility who dwelt within. All that is left of the grandeur of yesterday is the Tower of the Guzman Palace, where a saint and two blesseds lived, loved, and were loved. Our story is about the saint Dominic. Saints beget saints. Dominic's father was Felix Guzman, commander of the knights, instrumental in reclaiming Spain for Christ. His mother, Juana, was also of an old Castilian family. But because of the great influence she had on her children, she would be declared blessed. She would raise a future saint, Dominic, and a blessed, her oldest son, Manis. Before Dominic was born, his mother had a vision of a dog carrying a lit torch in his mouth, igniting everything in his path as he sped throughout the world. Troubled, she went to pray at the shrine of St. Dominic of Silos, after whom she later named Dominic. When his godparents held baby Dominic over the font to be baptized, his godmother saw a brilliant star shining on his forehead. All who knew him testified that a certain splendor always radiated from his face as if from a star. His mother could see Dominic leaning toward the priesthood. There was only one problem. His two older brothers were already in the seminary, and the estate and its responsibilities passed to the only son left. But knowing that this child, too, belonged to God, Juana sent Dominic at age seven to her brother, who was a priest. Dominic studied under his uncle, served as his altar boy, became proficient in Latin and in the tenets of the faith. Now, where Dominic was staying was on the way to Santiago de Compostelo. Pilgrims who stopped there recounted the atrocities inflicted on those who dared practice the Catholic faith. Dominic had an ongoing urgency. He was filled with compassion for those starving, not only from lack of food, but the Word of God. His life, filled with days and nights of peaceful but exciting pursuits of holiness, was to come to full fruition. Dominic was ordained to the priesthood. When he realized his walk was not as a secular priest but as a religious, he asked to be vested in the habit of the canons regular of Osma. He made his profession to that order and for the next nine years faithfully followed the rule of St. Augustine. One of his companions said, Now it was that he began to appear amongst his brethren like a bright burning torch of holiness and humility, spreading about him an odor of life which gave life, and a perfume like the sweetness of summer days. Day and night he was in the church praying without ceasing. God gave him the grace to weep for sinners and for the afflicted, He bore their sorrows in an inner sanctuary of compassion which pressed on his heart, flowed out, and escaped in tears. It was his custom to spend his nights in prayer and to speak to God behind closed Mm. doors. 
Don Diego, Bishop of Osma, chose Dominic to accompany him on a mission to Denmark. In southern France, Dominic's heart felt like it would bleed to death as he encountered the enormous misery brought about by a new threat against the church, the Albigensian heresy. Churches were empty, bells no longer tolled. Sunday, people worked in the field. A funereal spirit hovered over the villages, as if God himself was moaning over the death of his children's souls. Tired and downcast, Dominic and the bishop stopped at an inn in Toulouse, whose innkeeper was a heretic. Dominic talked to the man throughout the night, clarifying the errors put forth by the heretics and bringing him the true teachings of the faith. When dawn came peeking into the dark of night, the innkeeper's heart and soul were filled with light. He renounced the heresy and pledged to follow the true teachings of Mother Church. Dominic always turned to his heavenly mother for help. When he and the bishop visited the court of France, they found the queen grieving deeply because she had no children. Dominic told her to pray the rosary. Not only did she adopt this prayer, she asked all in her realm to pray for a male child who would wear the crown of France one day. She gave birth to the future St. Louis of France. Seeing the death of faith overtaking the world, the bishop and Dominic stopped in Rome. Diego asked to be relieved of his bishopric to spend the rest of his life correcting the heresies that were rotting away the very foundation of the church. They shared the devastating attacks they'd seen upon Mother Church, hordes of heathens laying siege on one front and those within the church attacking on another, the enemy of God leaving her dear mother that she is, bleeding. The Pope refused. They resignedly turned their eyes toward Spain. Pope Innocent II commissioned the Cistercians to fight Albigensianism. They failed because compared to the austerity of the heretics, their lifestyle was relaxed and easygoing. Now the new pope, Innocent III, turned to Dominic and the bishop Diego for help. All attempts at convincing the Cistercians to live a life more like that of the Savior having failed, Dominic and his followers were sent into the area to live much like Francis of Assisi and his followers in Italy. They carried no money, no staff, no possessions— they truly lived the austere gospel life, and against overwhelming odds, by the end of ten years, many conversions had come about. But Albigensianism was still very strong and firmly entrenched. Many families, having lost all they had due to the war, had no recourse but to send their children to schools provided by the Albigensianists. Dominic combated this by setting up convent schools available to teach the true faith. One evening, as Dominic was praying to Our Lady on a hill overlooking the shrine of Our Lady of Proe, he saw a globe of fire shoot down from the heavens and come to hover over the shrine. He took this as a sign from heaven. This was where he was to establish his first convent. The first nine sisters who initially came to Dominic were seeking asylum from their families who had been thoroughly indoctrinated into the Albigensian cult. As with St. Francis, they had not only heard Dominic preach the truth, but live what he preached. Their eyes were open, and they wanted that truth who alone can make them free. Their charism was to teach young women in danger of being exploited by Albigensianists. 
Before Bishop Diego left for Spain and his diocese, he promised to send reinforcements to help Dominic. It never came to pass as he died soon after arriving home. With the news of his death, the few Dominic had returned to Spain. Alone with the monumental task God had given him, Dominic committed himself to be the Lord's solitary preacher if need be. As if that was what God was waiting for, Fouquet, Bishop of Toulouse, entered his life. For the next ten years, this prelate would be Dominic's benefactor, affirming him when he was in most need, the right arm Dominic needed in the face of the endless adversity. Dominic founded a house for Albigensianists who wished to leave the sect. Everything was going fine until the local Count of Toulouse tried to close the house down. Pope Innocent III sent his papal legate, Peter of Castelnau, to resolve the matter quickly. Peter tried to dissuade the Count from supporting the heretics to no avail. Peter had no recourse but to excommunicate him. The announcement was made, and the Count sent two henchmen to waylay and kill the legate. Peter had spent his life preaching on the word of God, a word who was God. Dying, he would end his life just as the word before him, his last word asking forgiveness for his murderers. Peter often said, Religion will not raise its head in Languedoc until it is watered by the blood of a martyr. As he lay there, he fulfilled his own prophecy. The ground soaked by his blood, he was martyred for the faith. When news of his death reached the Pope, he rallied the kings of France and Spain to unite behind the banner of the church and fight this rage of heresy. Words no longer the sole means of attack, the church was being raided by armed thieves vandalizing and stripping churches and convents, then leaving nothing, burning them to the ground. The legate, Arnold of Citeaux, was placed in charge of the Catholic combined forces, not Dominic, who was nothing more than a chaplain serving souls. And yet, after the Reformation of the 16th century, the word was that it was Dominic, quote, the infamous preacher, unquote, who caused the bloodshed of the Albigensian War. This accusation is so against his most compassionate heart, it makes one weep to hear him so maligned. During the bloody encounter, Dominic and his small band went around the countryside, barefoot, without a roof over their heads, completely dependent on arms, preaching the word of God. This mission bestowed upon him and Bishop Diego by Pope Innocent III, never having been rescinded, Dominic continued in his role reconciling heretics to the church and assigning penances. Dominic lived more than 100 miles from Toulouse, near his Lady of Prouy, simply and humbly as the parish priest of Fanjo. He walked 17 miles each day to Carcassonne, to people who leveled abuses at him, threw dirt and stones at him, called him foul names, made a sport of playing him for the fool, and he, the great fool of Christ, came back for more. Coming upon a gang of heretics about whom he had been forewarned, he calmly passed through them joyfully singing hymns. Possibly stunned by his bravery, they did not carry out their plan to kill him. But having thought it over, they confronted him again. So you're not afraid to die, they said. What, have you, what would you have done if we began killing you? Dominic replied, I would beg you to not finish me with one quick blow, but little by little. 
They avoided him from that time on. Albigensianism became a deadly cancer threatening the entire church. One night while St. Dominic was hard at prayer in the chapel of Notre-Dame de la Pruille, Our Lady appeared to him holding the rosary. War and hate killing the innocent who did not know why they were fighting or for that matter being killed, it was time for the Mother of God to instruct her children through Dominic as to the true meaning of the rosary, her life, and that of her son Jesus. Although the rosary had been prayed for generations before the Blessed Mother came to Dominic, it was more of a vocal repetitions praying of the Hail Marys, Glory Bees, and the Our Fathers fingering the beads of the rosary. Mother Mary giving him this new mission, he was able to have the whole church participate with her and her son in what they suffered so that we might be saved. So we see Dominic in the midst of hell with the rabid dog of war wildly, indiscriminately attacking the innocent along with the guilty. No one was exempt. And he is preaching the rosary. When the Albigensianism was finally defeated, Dominic gave full credit to the intercession of Our Lady of the Rosary. But peace was to be short-lived. Things were out of hand. A war over men's souls, neither side willing to give up. The knowing ordering and the unknowing following. Rachel was once more crying for her children. The King of Aragon united his massive forces with the Albigensian soldiers and the defenders of Mother Church were so overwhelmingly outnumbered only a miracle would save her. Dominic was summoned and he hurriedly left for Muret. He stopped to pray before the tomb of St. Vincent the Martyr. When one of the canons spotted Dominic levitating, the King of Aragon converged on Muret with 40,000 men. The Count of Montfort was caught with only 800 men. He went into the chapel to prepare himself for the inevitable. At Dominic's suggestion, the Catholic forces began praying the rosary. The count knelt before the bishop and, after receiving his blessing, solemnly pledged, I consecrate my blood and life for God and his faith. They marched out to do battle, and Dominic, the priests, and the women retired to the church to pray. The count of Muret and his small army vanquished the king and his 40,000 men. Dominic returned to Rome. Pope Innocent III called the Council of Lateran, which has gone down in history as second only to the Council of Trent. Hundreds of bishops, abbots, and friars, along with heads of all the royal houses of Europe, were there to discuss the condition of the world. Mother Church has has historically called councils to declare dogmas which we have believed from the very beginning, but have not defined until attacked. Thanks to the heresy of Albigensianism, the council defended church doctrine, addressing this and other heresies threatening to sink the ship of the church. Pope Innocent recognized Dominic and his brothers, but as the church had ruled no new orders to be founded, the pope advised Dominic to choose one of the older rules. It was at this time that the pope had a dream— where he recognized the two friars holding up St. John Lateran as Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic. After much prayer, Dominic and the brothers chose the rule of St. Augustine. But the order of preachers, not a duplication of any order, but unique with its own charism and apostolate, is, as Pope Clement IV said, 
a fortified city which guards the truth and welcomes the faithful through its portals. It is the sun shining in the temple of God, the cypress on the heights, lifting minds that regard it, the field of the Lord fragrant with celestial roses. It was with a sad heart and a more than a little concern that the brothers received the news Pope Innocent III had died. He had been a good friend and supporter of Dominic and the Friars. Undaunted, Dominic set out for Rome and approval of his new community. He arrived in September only to find that the new Pope, Honorius, was not in Rome. Dominic slept in the churches. He prayed to his most precious Blessed Virgin for her intercession. She came through. December of that same year, just three short months after being elevated to the chair of Peter, the new Pope issued the first bull granting Dominic privileges and rights to lands, churches, and properties donated by Bishop Folke of Toulouse. In his second bull, the Pope referred to them as champions of the faith. Dominic continued to live a simple life, wearing the same patched worn tunic in the freezing winter and the suffocating summer. In the evening, after a hard day's work, he would spend his evening hours praying at the different altars in the church. He would do penance, first for his sins, then for those of sinners, and third for the poor souls in purgatory. He would get so involved with the ongoing sacrifice of the cross, the sacrifice of the Mass, that he would weep throughout the consecration. We would just like to share a miracle. Dominicans speak of it until today. The brothers were dejected, returning home from begging for alms without success all day when they met up with a woman. Feeling compassion, she gave them a loaf of bread. They walked a few steps when a poor man approached begging for their loaf of bread. Finally, his pleading getting to them, they turned the bread over to him. Meanwhile, the Lord told St. Dominic what happened. So when he saw the brothers, he asked if they had returned with nothing. When they recounted what had transpired, he said, Have no fear, it was an angel of the Lord. Dominic summoned the brothers to come to the refectory. Over their protests, he insisted they prepare the tables for their nightly meal. No sooner had he given the blessing, two handsome young men appeared and began distributing bread. After the last loaf was handed out, they disappeared. Dominic instructed the friars to eat the bread the Lord had provided, then to pour the wine. When they said there was none, he insisted they take the vessels and pour the wine which the Lord had provided. They not only filled all the glasses, they had enough wine and bread for three days. The third day, Dominic instructed them to give what was left to the poor. The friar preachers had worn the habit of the Augustinians when the Mother of God appeared and gave them the habit they wear to this day. A new brother was entertaining joining the order when he fell seriously ill. Dominic began pleading for his healing. Our Lady appeared to the dying young men, accompanied by two beautiful handmaids from heaven. She told him to ask what he willed and she would grant it. Just as he began searching his heart what to ask for, one of the maidens suggested he leave it up to Our Lady. Our Lady anointed his head, his eyes, nostril, hands, and feet. As she anointed his feet, she said, Let your feet be shod for the preaching of the gospel of peace. Then she showed him the habit the order was to wear. No one would have known Our Lady appeared if it had not been her wish the order know of the habit she had chosen for them. 
The young man begged Dominic not to tell the brothers what had happened until after he was dead. Dominic gave the order the habit, but withheld the origin until one year later, when the young man went to dwell with his fair lady, our mother in heaven. At night, when Dominic walked through the halls looking in on the friars, he would sometimes encounter the devil trying to distract the brothers when they were praying, telling a brother who was disobeying his superiors or not studying that he was holy and the Lord was pleased with him. The devil told Dominic that he liked coming to the convent but disliked the chapter room because of the good accomplished there. At other times, Dominic would meet up with the Blessed Mother, walking around the convent, checking in on her little chicks, sometimes sprinkling them with holy water as they were sleeping. One night, Dominic saw Mother Mary sprinkling water on the friars and making the sign of the cross on all but one. When asked why, she replied the friar was not in a state of grace. Dominic had a vision of Jesus with the Blessed Mother standing on his right. He saw every order but his standing before the throne of God, and he began to weep. When the Lord asked him why, he replied, I weep because I see every order before you but mine. Jesus said that was because he had entrusted his order to his mother. Then Mother Mary opened her mantle wide so that it covered all the heavens, and underneath were the friars extending beyond where the eye could see. With that, he awakened from his ecstasy. He called the friars to prayer and began instructing them on the love and veneration owed to the Mother of God, Mary Most Holy. Dominic had been foretold by a voice from heaven that his journey on earth was coming to an end and that he would serve the church in heaven. When he returned, the friars were alarmed. He had aged so rapidly in the two months he had been on the road. They begged him to go to bed but he insisted on praying the office with them. He could barely stand after the matins were over. They tried to put him to bed, but he insisted on being laid on the ground. Then they knew their father was going home. He had the friars summoned. His joy belied the drawn, lifeless look of death on his face. The brothers tried to keep from crying. The tears streamed down their cheeks. Their beloved father was leaving them for the last time. They carried him to a hilltop where he gave them his last will and testament. Have charity toward one another. Guard humility. Make your treasure out of voluntary poverty. You know to serve God is to reign, but you must serve him in love and with a whole heart. It is only by a holy life and by fidelity to your rule that you can do honor to your profession. They carried Dominic back to the convent. One of the brothers wiped the sweat that was pouring down his face. A brother cried out, Dear Father, you leave us desolate and afflicted. Remember us and pray for us to God. Then Dominic, summoning his last ounce of strength, lifted his eyes and hands to heaven and prayed, Holy Father, since by thy mercy I have ever fulfilled thy will, and have kept and preserved those whom thou hast given me. Now I recommend them to thee. Do keep them. Do thou preserve them. He turned to his children. I shall be more useful to you where I am going than I have ever been in this life. Arms outstretched to heaven. He breathed his last breath for church and community. It was 6 p.m., the 6th of August, 1221. 
friars in different parts of the world reported seeing visions of Dominic rising to heaven at the time he died. As the church where St. Dominic's body was entombed had need of repair, St. Dominic's remains had to wait to be translated. When it was in readiness, May the 24th, 1223, hundreds of friars, with all the fathers of the order, bishops, prelates, and men of every rank, solemnly awaited the translation and opening of the coffin. As the dirt parted and the cement fell away from the tomb, a deep, sweet fragrance emanated from the sarcophagus. The perfume filled the church when the coffin was carried in. Bystanders wept as the lid was lifted to reveal their father just as he had looked two years before he died. When John of Vicenza, a friar dear to Dominic, made way for the bishop, Dominic's body turned to face John. And when John moved again, the body turned once again to face him. With this sign, Dominic was saying that he treasured his friars and their love above all honors that could be bestowed upon him. Miracles upon miracles were verified, far more than was required. It gave Pope Gregory IX the deepest joy to issue a bull raising Francis, founder of the Friars Minor, and Dominic, founder of the Friars Preachers, to the altars of the church during his pontificate. Francis was canonized on July the 16th, 1228, and Dominic on July the 12th, 1234. The Albigensian heresy was finally put down. If we were to pick one shining light responsible for the ultimate demise of the Albigensian heresy, it would have to be St. Dominic. God chose a man and filled him with urgency, and Dominic used that urgency to found an order which would live on after him. I give you arms with which throughout your life you may fight against the devil. This would be Dominic's last will and testimony, the legacy he would leave to all the young and courageous who would pick up his torch and lead the way to Jesus. Make Dominic your role model. Go forth and defend the church. We love you. We love you. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the app store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, there's a link to our marketplaces our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.